Welcome to Serious Fun. It's Brooks here. And today on the show, I get to chat with my friend, Julia Blackwell. Julia is a fascia expert, and we call her uh, the pain relief wizard. She's also married to a previous guest on the show, Eric Blackwell. And we actually recorded that episode uh, with Eric in their house last year. So I'm excited to have Julia on to talk about her journey to healing from a significant physical trauma that happened to her at birth how she discovered the kinetics method that focused specifically on fascia and how she's using this experience to help others heal their bodies at home with her company called Movement by Julia. You can find her at her website, movementbyjulia.com, or on Instagram at movementbyjulia. We had a great time. You're going to learn a lot, and I'm excited to present this episode of Serious Fun with Julia Blackwell. Enjoy. The resistance is high. The persistence must be higher. Do you understand what I'm saying? Persevering. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're going to do. Wonderful skill. Yeah, that's what we're going to do today. So it's it's story time with Julia Blackwell, Movement by Julia. And today, we don't know what story we're telling, but we know we're going to tell one. (laughs) Correct. I mean, that's what we're doing here. We don't know exactly what story we're going to tell, but we know that we're going to tell it and it's going to be serious fun because that's the whole point of the show. Let me, you can, I, can I guide this? Can I guide this ship? Absolutely. I, I trust you fully. Okay, cool. Uh, it's like, it's not like it's my show or anything. I thought you were going to come on and just do the whole thing for me. Is that not how this works? Is that... Oh, should I throw away all the questions I have for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you prepped all the notes and you had it, you had a lot that you wanted to share today. So I just, you know, I wanted to ask for permission to lead this experience. Uh, uh, Let's start. (laughs) We're going to start here. We're going to start with how we met. And then I want to talk about after that, I want to, I want you to tell me and tell the audience how you and I came to, to be on the microphone together today and what that what that's all about i would love for you to tell me what this is all about and then we're definitely going to talk about your work you're okay yeah yeah, like you're obviously a uh a a pain relief wizard so if you think we're getting out of this show without talking about some pain relief wizardry you'd be you'd be dead wrong so what we'll do is let's start let's start with how we met julia let's let's start there well i believe we officially met at the double retreat that was happening for both um, our group of women and men in the Enlifted Circle. And I met you for a hot second because I had no idea that these retreats were going to be happening in the same building, obviously not the same space, but I was completely checked out of any masculine energy. I was there for the women's retreat. I had no interest in talking to any of these dudes that were down a floor below. And so I met you in passing and and then saw your performance of the King Says Yes. And although I was 
unreceptive to a lot of masculine energy. I was like, Ooh, this guy, I'm logging this away when I'm ready to uh, cross that bridge. It's happening. Cause I was very, I mean, I loved it. It was so cool to watch that performance. So that was, I believe the initial time. Right. And then you came to hang out with my husband and I in Colorado a couple months later. And I, having not known you uh, up until really staying with you at the same encounter, right? Briefly pass. Um, it was, uh, I could definitely tell that there was you, the, you were there for the women and the women experience only. Right. And uh, I think hopefully uh, the men that were there did a good job of like holding that space where we're, we're not trying to blend in. I, I imagine that you experienced that, but yeah, so we, we, we met, but we didn't really meet for sure. But when I got to stay with you and Eric in Colorado, like I met Julia Blackwell. Woo. Woo. I was back. I was also coming off of uh, working for three straight months, seven days a week when I came to that retreat. So any, uh, surface level conversation and pleasantries was out the window for me <laughs> ain't got time for that <laughs> no no time no no <laughs> no time no energy and i honestly uh have being married to a strong woman myself like i respect that uh I, you know hold your space hold your boundaries and and to be honest like fuck everybody else <laughs> you, know you know what i mean so uh no i was i was all good uh, uh with that but like no i the reason that I enjoyed staying with you and Eric so much is because y'all are a very like playful couple and Eric's been interviewed on this show and we talked about creativity and play. And one thing that I uh, really noticed is that you bring a lot of that energy in a very calm and grounded way into the work that you do uh, in movement by Julia and, and some of your therapy techniques. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that, but I just want to say like, uh, I've experienced you to be nothing but uh, bubbly and fun and also very intentional about your work. I enjoy your playful attitude and I'm loving the pink hair. If I can just say that right now, this is new to me. Okay. So this is also going to be on YouTube. Oh, okay. You see Julia's beautiful pink hair and her nice little uh, movement space that she has. But yeah, look at that sign. Eric made it. I know Eric and Eric makes it is his Instagram hand, handle shameless plug here um, made this sign. So it's beautiful. If you want to see it, you got to go to YouTube at Brooks Meadows on YouTube and it will be serious fun with Julia Blackwell. OK, so that's how we met. We connected. We had a great time. We stayed in contact. And then you hit me up and you were like, hey, man, uh, I need, I need some help. Can you, can you support me? What, what is going on and how, how can we support you today? Oh, well, I just recently graduated from Enlifted Level 2. And one of the big assignments that we submitted to graduate was recording ourselves doing our kind of origin story into the work that we do. Um, and he gave Mark, Mark England gave us a lot of tactical tools for presenting. And I have always loved the idea of entertaining people and telling stories. And one of the uh, negative stories I had in my mind for a long time was um, a couple people had told me I talked too much and I started to shut down that really bubbly side of me that wanted to tell you all of the funny stories. So 
upon getting out of that story and then entering level two, where I had an opportunity to film myself and present more. And obviously I do a lot of filming for my business. That's a little bit different though, because it's more educational. Um, I, I do hope that it's presented in an entertaining way, but um, I was like, man, I really want more practice at storytelling and talking to people and being really used to communicating in this style because it's really fun. It's bringing out uh, an, an old version of me that I really loved and was shut down for, for a time in my life. So it is way more fun to, to be in this state. So I appreciate you letting me come on to tell stories and shoot the shit. <laughs> Your experience, uh, I, I relate with that a lot. The funny thing is, and I'm not sure where uh, this happened in, in your life uh, story, you know, where in the life cycle you were. But I, I really, for, I don't know, pretty much my whole, like, self-conscious life, cons- uh, you know, being aware that I'm, like, this person and I have different thoughts than other people, I, I've been pretty, like, I've fancied myself to be quite self-aware, you know, and, and aware of how I fit into the group. So I, I say that to say I live my whole life this way, where I was like, I thought I knew what was going on. And then I was about 27 or 28 years old. Hallie and I had just started dating and we were hanging out with um, my best friend, Phil, and who was at the retreat and Phil and Hallie and I were having a conversation and we were talking about high school, you know, because Hallie's basically just out of high school at this time. And we're reflecting back on our high school experience. And uh, and Hallie's like, so, Phil, like, what was Brooks like in high school? You know, and he go, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, he was always kind to everybody, but he was really polarizing because he talks, you know, because you talk a lot. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, squeeze me. And, and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? And Hallie was like, what? And Phil was like, what? You don't know that? <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. And honestly, like, you know, there's this moment where, like, your whole story starts playing in, like, a rapid stream. You're, like, reliving all of your conscious memories through a new lens all of a sudden. And it was like a – I don't know if it was going – it's basically like it dropped in the middle of the puddle and it expanded outways, backwards, forwards, left, right. Everything about me was, like, rippled. I was like, whoa. And I also, like, for the next – with, with the exception of when I was coaching and needing to lead people in a professional sense, the amount that I talked significantly reduced because I immediately associated the story that I had was that it was bad to be polarizing because you talked a lot. And I carried that around, fuck, man, like probably until recently, to be honest, to about the, the to, until about, I would say, the king says yes, uh, creation or, or its own oh. birth. I, w- I, I still would allow myself in the right company to get on tangents and talk and be interesting if it called for it. But I mean, like really just being myself without apology. If I want to tell a story, tell a story. If I want to be quiet, be quiet. Like th- this is a pretty rel- relatively new experience. And I'd say 2020 is what offered me the space and time to sit in reflection and really evaluate where I was and where I wanted to be 
and uh, really take a hard look at these lessons that I've learned and, and, and through people like, uh, you know, your husband and their company or Eric's working on the app. They were working through the Enlifted program. Uh, myself, I went through Strong Coach. Once you get some of these tools to unwind some of these stories, it allows you to, oh, wow, I can breathe into this and then I can do something else. I can start to retrain or recondition my thought patterns to and, and create my own story. Um, so let's tell Julia's story then. You want to tell Julia's story? We'll, we'll lead up into, and you know, you talk about it as, as much or as little as you like, but I, uh, I've done a lot of manual, I've experienced a lot of manual therapy in my life, but I remember specifically leaving one of your sessions and going, this is different than anything that I've ever done. And so I guess in order to get to talking about what you do now, let's talk about um, where you were and how you got into the work that you do now. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, <laughs> the joke that most people make when you ask them how they got started on something is like, oh, well, when I was born, ha ha ha. But that's actually my scenario here. <laughs> All of this did start when I was born. Uh, I was nearly a 10 pound baby. You can believe that nonsense. And I got stuck during the breathing process. So in the panic to pull me out, the doctor ripped and tore all the nerves in my right shoulder. Mm. And that yanking rendered my arm essentially useless. It was a, a little dead arm to, to the side until they did a massive nerve regraft when I was only four months old which is wild. They, they took nerves out of the back of my calf muscle and rerouted them into my shoulder and my neck, Whoa! which is wild, especially in the eighties that that was a thing that was possible. Right. Whoa. I have a, a great picture of tiny baby me where almost everything in my body is wrapped in bandages, except for my left arm post-op because so much of what had gone on, you know, involved my whole body. So uh, that's cellular memory trauma for another day. <laughs> but, uh, this, this surgery did bring my arm back online, if you will, but it still left me with limited mobility, limited strength and an incessant amount of tightness. And growing up, I do, I did what most of us do, which is go through the standard Western medical system runaround and went to constant doctor's appointments and occupational therapy sessions. And every single one of these medical professionals all told me essentially I was fucked, that um, my arm was never gonna heal. It was never gonna get any better. If anything, it was gonna get worse. Mm. And one doctor even told me that I should never expect to play any both arms required type of sport, which is such a wonderful thing to tell a seven-year-old, right? Mm. <laughs> Creepy. Speaking um, of creating stories. Oh yeah. Uh, very interesting work I've done lately that surrounds this, you know, being told from such a young age that you have limitations. So, and a lot of that is based on data uh, that's, that collated and then there's a, a mean or a norm quote unquote a norm attached to it this is what's normal or average or expected based on the data uh, and we 
adopt that as my individual story. Um, yes. When, if you look at the collated data, they're scattered in uh, many, 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 many single individual dots that are all over the map that actually are then collated to try to fit into like a nice little set. And uh, I want to say that, you know, using data is very valuable in making decisions. And when it comes, now that we understand how much like hearing a story can possibly affect the outcome, uh, that it now begins to question like, oh, wow, like how much of this should we be telling people? So yeah, you're seven years old. You're the doctor is doing their due diligence to give you the data, which implies a story, and they tell you that story because they feel like it's in your best interest to know what's in front of you. So it's a, it's a really double-edged sword here. So you get told you're not possibly ever going to play a two-handed sport, which, you know, is pretty much all of them, but I totally get it. Probably some soccer in there or something <laughs> like that. Uh, you could definitely play soccer. So, so keep going with your story. Well, yeah, I was going to say there's certainly a side story to talk later though about, which is if this surgery did in fact bring much of my arm back online, what could have happened if from that young age, people had told me that I would heal and regain, would my brain have relay that message to my body and would it be in a different place now? So I have very strong feelings with um, the way a lot of Western medical professionals relay the data. Uh, they make hard conclusions that people defy all the time. So would that actually be a less rare occurrence if we had less people saying, nope, you're not, you're never going to run again. Oh, you're never going to squat without back pain again. So I could rant to you for a long time about that, but a lot of absolutes in the medical profession, even though science is never absolute. <laughs> That's yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah, I, you know, eventually I did get tired of, of being told no, because probably my deepest desire as a kid was I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to do all the other things that the kids were doing. I wanted to play sports and it was almost always met with a no, you can't, or uh, you can try, but it's going to be so much harder for you, Julia, because of your arm. And those are the things sinking in to my subconscious. Uh, but yeah, eventually it was like, I'm over this. My parents had said no to softball, to basketball. Uh, I briefly did some gymnastic gymnastics and my mom told me to quit because I was struggling so much. But I eventually wore them down and convinced them to let me join the volleyball team when I was 11. And I immediately was in love with this game. And because I was so excited to finally be able to play a sport, I worked my ass off. I practiced all the time. My dad can attest. I used to go out in our driveway and serve the ball onto our garage roof which as I got more and more strength serving, it would roll up the garage roof and slam into my parents' bedroom window before rolling back down where I would serve again. And he would yell at me. He's like, you're gonna break the window. Did you though? <laughs> but I, no, no. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I practice all the time. I figured out modifications for anything I couldn't quite execute skill-wise in volleyball, but 
you know, I, I hit and serve left-handed. It was really just a modification for, you know, passing or, um, you know, I'd, I'd go up with one arm to block things like that, but I would practice whatever modifications I needed until I was outplaying my perfectly healthy teammates. I was mastering skills faster. I had more ball control than these people. I was making varsity teams over people that had zero limitations. And that was the first time I was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> the doctors told me that this was not supposed to be possible. I am playing one of the, the most both arm required sports that I can think of. And here I am doing this thing. That's interesting. Log that away. <laughs> and I did notice for sure that uh, as, as I continued to believe I could play this well, the better I got. And I ended, I ended up winning a bunch of awards. I set a serving record in high school. I've won more tournaments than I can literally count. And I ended up earning a full ride scholarship to play division two ball in college. So suck it, doctor. <laughs> suck it, doctor. Suck it. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's where uh, our mutual friend Cameron, Cameron says, well, that's where the Disney movie ends. Because I, <laughs> I did learn so many valuable lessons on willpower and perseverance and mindset. And I had begun to figure out that perhaps the stories that I had been told were inaccurate, but I was still searching for physical relief from this limitation that I was feeling because that had not changed. Right. Mm. So in 2010, I packed up everything I owned and my Ford Taurus and moved from the, the hills of Cincinnati to the mountains of Boulder. It's a wonderful change. <laughs> And I haven't been back. Well, I go back to visit, but I'll I'll never go back to Cincinnati. <laughs> heard. Uh, with but all yeah, due respect after, to all the Ohioans, with all due respect to the Ohioans, I've heard a lot of people that came from Ohio that say that. You know, I still openly admit that I'm a Bengals fan, so I've done my due diligence for Ohio people. Well, it's like they, they got LeBron went back. LeBron went back, and then they got their championship. Ohio, all of Ohio got the championship. You know, Cleveland yeah. won, but but it's really an Ohio all championship. So it's all good in Ohio. No disrespect. No, no, no. Uh, once I got to to Boulder, I the, the mountains resonated with me so deeply that I I knew within months that this was my home. So it was a very easy transition for me. Uh, but I. I I want to say I was only there for a couple months is very shortly after I arrived that I met this lady that did kinetics fascia release and I had never heard of kinetics. I didn't know what the hell this thing called fascia even was that she was jabbering onto me about, but she can convince me to let her work on my arm. And I came in with such, uh, reservations as I normally do where here we go. Someone's going to work on this, pretend that they can help. It won't. I'll politely thank them and move on with my day. Mm -hmm. But this fascia work changed everything for me. I had never experienced anything quite like this, much like your initial reaction when I worked on you as well. I, my, my, my mind was blown by the changes that I was seeing. 
the tightness that was constant started to relax. There were these muscles that had been atrophied, likely the vast majority of my life that started being able to contract. And I can absolutely say I saw more results in the look and feel of my arm in three months doing this work than 15 years doing typical Western medicine, medicine treatments. So I was beyond thrilled. You know, I still have a long way to go with my arm. It's still in its healing process, but this is the first and only thing that I've experienced that's made a dent in this issue that I've been working through. And it was the first time I'd ever felt something resembling freedom in my arm. And I pivoted hard, you know, I pivoted hard into learning this and more about fascia because my God, if it could make a difference for me, someone who was supposed to have irrevocable damage, what could this do for all of these other people experiencing pain and tightness and limitation? It was, it was very exciting. That is, uh, I can imagine that to be like a, such an aha and almost like a calling at the same, all, all at once. Um, you've been searching and searching and searching and you didn't realize that the thing that you were searching, there were maybe like two things you're searching for, right? Yeah. And they, they happened to intersect in that moment where you found the kinetics work. Uh, for those listening, what is fascia and how does it relate to the overall system? And then what is it that you do with kinetics to uh, manipulate or work on the fascia? Yeah, well, fascia is connective tissue and it's actually the most abundant tissue that lives in your body. Every single thing in your body is wrapped in this connective tissue. Uh, one of my favorite analogies is like, it's like plastic wrap. So every muscle fibril is wrapped in it. Every muscle fiber is wrapped in it. Every muscle, every bone, blood vessel, organ, nerve, everything is organized and put into your shape and your structure through this fascial system. My favorite analogy for this as well, it's like, it's just a theory, but they said, if everything were to magically disappear out of your body, except for your fascial system, you would still largely look like you. That is the thing holding again, your shape and structure together. And on the flip side, if only your fascia disappeared out of your body, you would go tumbling to the ground in a pile of bones and goo. You know, we're what, like 65 to 70% water. How does that water not simply fall out at our feet and become a puddle? It's because your fascia is holding everything together and organizing it keeps mm. the organs from touching. It keeps everything moving and connected. That's how your ligaments attach to your bones. It's this, this fascinating system that's still so new in the science world, because for the longest time, uh, when researchers were dissecting cadavers, they'd be like, what's all this fibery stuff in the way, get it out of the way, put it in the trash so that we can see the muscle or the nerve and completely unaware of how critical this connective tissue system is. And because it uh, wraps everything, it then be kind of becomes almost like a map that's all connected on your body. And this tissue, as you were saying, 
it was never really uh, studied. And a primary reason is because the only time we ever really saw fascia is when people were dead. Mm-hmm. And so dead fascia and the way that it operates and even looks versus what fascial tissue looks like when it's involved in a healthy or at least a, an alive human being, it actually looks and operates differently, which is why another reason why it was so hard to really understand and detect. Um, and so what I have experienced myself is that sometimes when I maybe uh, experience some sort of like physical trauma, I might slip and fall down and hit my leg or I might overwork my muscles in a fitness workout that once those things are damaged, that all my overall body seems to get tight. And that can get confusing, right? Because you're like, well, the pain's in my leg. How come I'm having a heart? How come I can feel this tightness like up near my neck or up near the top of my head or in my hands or something? So um, what is it that's happening that if I'm uh, feeling it in one area, but I'm tight all over, how is fascial tissue relaying and and related in those cases? Totally. So your fascial system is all interconnected. It, it is all connected on a microscopic level. It's this crisscrossing three-dimensional spider web almost uh, that goes throughout your whole body. But when you zoom out of the microscopic level, fascia has a grain like you would see on wood where there are certain strips of fascia that the grain is all going in the same direction. And you're essentially like a puppet. If you were to pull one end of this fascia, an entire chain of bones and muscles is going to move from the end that you're pulling from. And there's multiple lines within your body that are all uh, connected in these sheets. They're called anatomy trains. If you're really nerding out about how cool fascia is, I highly recommend looking up Thomas Myers. He's essentially the father of the fascial system in my eyes, being able to discover these really uh, especially interconnected patterns of lines of pull within the fascial system. But essentially with one of those strips starts to bunch up and shrink wrap a little bit. You can think of it like you put a vacuum on a vacuum suck plastic bag where it shrinks and pulls together. Then everything along the rest of that chain is going to start pulling at weird angles. So oftentimes like a great example is plantar fasciitis. People have this pain in their heel, right? And it's horrible pain if you've ever experienced it, but that point on your heel is the attachment of a line of fascia that goes up your entire posterior chain. And so what's normally happening with people is they have these congested, stuck together, dense areas in their calf, their hamstring, maybe even up into the glute that's pulling on the attachment point, which is your heel. And so people are feeling the pain in their heel when it's actually further up the line in that fascial chain. So it's a really interesting process to uh, educate yourself on the lines of pull and be able to play around with what patterns are causing a pain that is in a completely different area. Because rarely, in my experience with clients, rarely where you're feeling the pain is the actual problem. Mm. I've, ex- I mean, as a person that spent a lot of time in the fitness industry and beating myself up, whether it's martial arts or doing things, I can attest to that. It. The, the, the source of the pain and the problem are, I don't know, say maybe it's pretty rare that they're ever the same thing. Um, there's obvious times where you have like knotted tissue and you touch that and you go, oh, that, yeah, okay, that. But like if I'm having something that's a, oh, it's been coming on over time, for example, if I have uh, short or tight 
quads, for example, it's known to have that little tendon over your knee get a little bit soft because not everything's moving. So uh, these are all things that uh, I think on a if you if someone were to look and and think about all the pains and the things and the nooks, it, it's it's rarely going to be exactly oh I can touch that. So uh, what I noticed is that when you were working on my shoulder, one thing that was different than I had ever experienced, and I don't know if you saw this in the teaser, but I said you like to play footsie. You like to play footsie with your clients, and I, I'm being it was very tongue in cheek. I'm being cute. <laughs> But you literally use your feet as as the manual like anchor that I'm going to hold you here and then I'm going to have you create some movement. So walk us through uh, what a typical like experience in this kinetics is like. And uh, yeah, just tell me about why you use your feet. Oh, my gosh, because it's the coolest. Uh, <laughs> no, I you know. I believe one of the reasons that this was developed is it's a lot easier on the practitioner, but it's also, it also allows me to apply a significant amount of compression to your fascia while still allowing you to feel safe because of the surface area. So if I were to put in that kind of weight with a thumb or the point of my elbow, you would be jumping off the mat and mm. cursing my name. Mm. But there's something about the wider surface area and the way we go into the fascia that allows us to put, again, a very substantial amount of compression in there and still have you able to move. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm looking for areas of the fascia that feel dense or hard because I know I'm throwing a lot of analogies your way, but healthy fascia is essentially like a wet sponge where it compresses. You can move and twist in any direction. And when you're done moving, it bounces back to its original shape. So I'm like looking for the areas that feel like a dry sponge, which are very hard and brittle and dense, right? So I'm feeling for that with my foot and I can do that because I've been doing this a long time and it, it stands out to me at this point, but I will compress it down and then have you go through a very deliberate range of motion that's going to help cross fiber all of the fascial fibers as much as possible. So those are the two main ways that I know fascia changes most quickly is that compression and then cross fibering at the same time. And I'm also fascinated by the fact that your fascial system is like a second nervous system it can communicate within itself very rapidly. In fact, 10 times faster than the nervous system sends signals. Wow. And so if you are activating both the fascia and the nervous system combined by moving yourself through a range of motion, we are quickly interrupting patterns. Like a lot of times you get stuck in a neurological or a muscular pattern because of tightness, compensation, what have you. And so we are quickly interrupting that pattern through active movement as well. Mm. So most people uh, either the most people that hear this, they may not have access to a kinetics uh, practitioner, someone that can manually work on them with their feet, create that compression and, and have them go through that what you call cross fibering, where they're having to move through and uh, the range of motion while also under compression. And to add some clarity to that, like if you're, uh, if the fascia is moving up and down, cross fibering would mean to put compression and then move right to left. 
where you're going across the line and not rolling up and down uh, in the same line as the fascia. So that's what uh, cross fibering is. So if I, if I don't have access to Julia Blackwell, um, I can a definitely go check out her page movement by Julia on Instagram. Uh, she's got lots of uh, great information available to you and I'm going to get her to, I'm prompting her now to give us, to give us the goods, to give us the secrets. We're going <laughs> to fix everybody today. But I, if I, I don't have access, if I don't have access to that other person uh, to compress me, what can I do to start to apply some self-care from a manual therapy using these ideas? Yeah, so especially during corona times, which has been a really like gratefully fun transition for me, I've been applying the same principles of kinetics to foam rolling. So using some kind of a fascia release tool, um, whether it be a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, occasionally I'll use something that's more like a softball size, but we're adding compression through putting our body weight on a fascia release tool of some kind. And then I'm essentially explaining very similar motions that I would do if I was stepping on you in order to get that same compression and cross fibrine effect. And it's been so fun, Brooks, because I, uh, speaking of stories that we were talking about earlier, I had a story in my mind that is like, I can't guarantee that people are going to get results with foam rolling if, if I can't control all aspects of the situation, right? I have to be in control. I have to be the one, you know, doing the work and realizing, no, not at all. Like these principles are true because that's the way that fascia responds. And I've been seeing people get incredible results and very, very similar results by simply doing it on their own with these fascia tools. So it's been so fun. <laughs> well, I, and it's funny because when we, uh, in, in the hero's journey uh, that we're all on of self-discovery, and we go through many different kinds of hero's journey, but let's just say we're going to talk, uh, talk about the hero's journey like it's a path to mastery. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called Mastery by Robert Greene, and it lays out a very like step by step. It's not, you know, learning is not linear, but the book at least logically lays out the linear path to mastery and going through the apprenticeship phase. And so the apprenticeship phase is where we're learning and we're putting our own craft to it and we're just taking in all that we can. But there is a moment in the hero's journey where we sort of like go through the, am I worthy of this? Am I capable of stepping out and doing something creative on my own? Am I capable? Is my voice worth being heard? You know what I'm saying? And so uh, it sounds like you were getting through the other side where on the other side is like this burst of creativity, right? And uh, I think that the way that I've seen you transition to being able to teach these tools this way has been such a huge uh, value for the community at large to be able to offer this some, to somebody in a way that they can do this on their own and at home. You know, that is so many times the limiting, limiting factor to people getting the care that they need is maybe not having access to an individual like you. So it's a, to me, it was a very valuable and I'll even go a step further and say important phase of this journey that Julia's on is now that she's able to 
have she's done the worked on these tools and worked on people enough to be able to compress that information and offer it to people in a new way, which is like, hey, this is don't just this is how you phone. This is how you can use a foam roller to apply these techniques to take care of yourself. I think it's uh, I've been following uh, your progression as a professional for a while now. And to see that you able to teach that it's um, it's really special. I, I, I love, love, love your stuff. And everybody, let me tell you something about else, else about Julia, because I'm, I'm every everyone absolute this time absolute is acknowledged. Everyone that I know that has worked with Julia comes out on the other side and go, that was some different shit. <laughs> that was way like I've done so much manual therapy. And I, this is the I've never experienced anything like this. So um, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, like, thank you for working on me that one time. Thank you for teaching this. And thank you for sharing about this on your uh, on our ex- episode today. I want to uh, make sure I've, I've given people your uh, Instagram handle, but I want to make sure that if people want to get this information, they want to get in touch with you. If you have anything going on, like, let's make sure we get in how they can find you. Yeah, I, I'm certainly the most active on Instagram, which is Movement by Julia. Um, if you are interested in booking a one-on-one session, if you're really wanting to figure out your specific pain pattern on what's going on and contributing to whatever pain or mobility thing you're experiencing with, you can book a session, uh, virtual and in person, if you happen to be in the Denver area on my site, which is movementbyjulia.com. I'm also really excited. A couple months back, I launched a membership program called Roller Club. And Roller Club is all of the fascia release techniques that I've adapted from kinetics into, you know, the techniques with other tools and compiled a bunch of pain specific flows for you to follow, um, a bunch of information on how to map your own body. And that exists now. It's a monthly membership and you can sign up for that on my site as well. And oh man, that's been one of the most fun things I've been working on too. Uh, Yeah. And this transition, something I realized that I needed the space of uh, being kicked out of my office for eight weeks when the pandemic first started is I began to see how people were starting to rely on me exclusively to uh, fix their problem, let's say, fix their problem. And I, I had a come to Jesus moment where, you know, they were starting to rely on me the same way I had relied on doctors growing up of like, you tell me what's wrong, you fix this problem or tell me it's unfixable, whatever that is. It's this conditioning that we go, we go under that is that, you know, anyone in the medical profession is hundred percent, right. They have all of the authority. We're essentially outsourcing trust in our body or in our own sensations to somebody else. And when roller club became an idea and then became an actual thing that exists, one of the most rewarding things about it is that it's been my creative project to help other people take that power back. It's like, you don't need a medical professional for every ache and pain you have. There's a time and a place for Western medicine. Absolutely. Like if something is serious going on for the love of God, go see your doctor. But so much of us have been led to believe that our body is so complicated that we could never figure it out on our own. And we have to go ask someone or get an MRI. And it's been so fun to give people all of the tools that I have to figure it out themselves. So 
this membership has been like, yeah, it's my, my creative baby to give people those tools. There's live classes as well. Um, it's, it's been fun. So thank you for letting me talk about it. <laughs> Y'all go out and feed this woman's baby. Her baby needs to eat. That's my baby. Feed her baby. Go join Roller Club. It has been an, an absolute blast. Uh, Julia, I love hanging out. I, you know, this I love, love, love your perspective. And again, I I've felt your work. I know that your work works. Is that right? Your work works. Yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> that works. So uh, I imagine that if somebody's uh, hearing this and they have those daily aches and pains and they're tired of outsourcing their trust and their feeling to other people, they can self-empower. And this is the woman to help you do that. Julia, it's been so great having you on Serious Fun today. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to catch up with you again. Any final remaining thoughts before we close out to the community today? No, thank you for this. This was this was an elaborate ruse to get you to hang out with me for an hour, and I loved it. <laughs> Story time is complete. That's serious fun today. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for checking out another serious fun episode with Julia Blackwell. This show is certainly brought to you by you. So if you'd like to support the show, please rate it five stars, leave a kind comment and share it with a friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.